What is up, plant people? It is Tuesday, January 21st, 2020, and you found yourself listening to episode six of Planthropology. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host, and I'm excited to be talking with you today. We've got a great episode coming up with Dr. Glenn Ritchie, who is the department head here at the Department of Plant and Soil Science at Texas Tech University, and my boss, and uh, just really a great guy. But before we get to that, I said on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or all of them a couple of weeks ago that I would start reading your reviews as a thank you for taking the time to leave them. So our first one that we're going to read today is from Red Raider 079. And this one was left on Apple Podcasts. And the headline is great podcast with an exclamation point. I appreciate the exclamation point. Even if you're not a plant expert, this is a great podcast to follow. It teaches about plants and conservation laid back, funny, and full of information. I'm probably going to read those really dramatically every time, and I'm not sorry about it. But thank you, Red Raider 079, for leaving us this review. And uh, if you would like me to read your review, hit us up on Apple Podcasts, Podchasers, social media, somewhere, and I will probably read it on an episode of the show. I read all of these because I'm interested to hear what you have to say. So we have a lot of fun stuff coming up with Planthropology that I wanted to mention. The first thing uh, that's really pretty cool is I'll be doing a live show at LubbockCon at the end of February here in Lubbock. Um, so you may be thinking now, that's a comic book and sci-fi convention. Now, what does plants have to do with that? Well, I don't know. Maybe not a lot. But there's a lot of plants in sci-fi and fantasy. And it's just a cool place for me to get out and be able to talk to y'all face-to-face. So come to that. I'll drop more information coming soon on all of our social media about LubbockCon. I'll be streaming that show uh, live on Facebook. Also recording it and posting it as a bonus episode. But if you've got questions you would like me to answer live, send them in. Email them to me at planthropologypod at gmail.com. Send them to us on social media. However you can get me a question, send it to me, and I will probably answer it live, um, either at the show or maybe on social media in a live video sometime. Another thing we're thinking about doing, speaking of live shows, is having some shows here at the Greenhouse at Texas Tech University, where I actually work. I manage the Greenhouse and Horticultural Gardens, if you don't remember that, or if you're just joining us. But... um, We want to get face-to-face with y'all, so I would love to bring in some guests live, do a dinner, or just a hangout time with, I don't know, coffee. I like coffee, so coffee. Um, But it'll be a chance for you to come see us, see the greenhouse, see what we do here, and also I can answer some of your questions and all of that. So that should be pretty cool. Stay tuned for information about that coming up this summer and fall. Okay, so Dr. Glenn Ritchie, he took over as our department head here at the Department of Plant and Soil Science in September and has really just been wonderful to work with and work for. He's been a professor in the department for quite a number of years, and in fact, I took a couple of his classes both at the master's and PhD level. They were a lot of fun. They were great classes. I really learned a lot from this guy. So we talked today about his um, goals for the department, his goals as an academic, so maybe the overall look at academia in general. We talk about things you can do as a grad student to make your Um, career in school a little bit better and to be more successful. It's really a lot of fun. He's a hilarious guy. We talk about digging graves and all kinds of stuff. So I'm glad you're with us today. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Planthropology and enjoy the show. All right. Well, we are live. Thanks for being in with me, Dr. Richie. 
Well, thanks. I'm excited to be here, Vikram. So, like I said in the introduction, uh, Dr. Ritchie is our department head here in the uh, Department of Plant and Soil Science. Um, so, can you introduce yourself a little more? Tell us where you went to school, where you came from, all that. Sure. Um, my name is Glenn Ritchie. I came from uh, the great state of Idaho. I grew up on a small dairy farm in southeast Idaho, and I was the fifth out of six kids, and as a result, I was very much the the labor for the farm as opposed to a decision maker. And um, really, I, I have a very kind of a unique background in that not only did we farm, but we also ran a small cemetery. So from the time I was about 16 years old, I was actually digging graves by hand. Wow. And my first experience with soil science actually came from from uh, digging graves. Um, and so, you know, when, <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, to a large extent, you know, that shaped, I guess, the what I didn't want to do with... Dig with, graves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I discovered that I didn't want to dig graves, and I discovered that I didn't want to milk cows, especially in the winter, because it's cold in Idaho in the winter, yeah, and it's not terrible. a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, you, you think it's uh, painful for you to be in a cold milking parlor in the winter. Just imagine uh, trying to, you know... To, to clean off the cow's udders. They weren't too happy about no, it either. They're probably mostly frozen at that point. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, okay. So was the, I, I'm, I'm trying to work through a, a question that makes sense about the cemetery experience. So, uh, it was, so your family ran this? It was like a family business or? You know, it had been in our family for about two generations. Uh, it was something that was run by the community, but they needed people who were willing to mow, who were willing to dig graves, and who were willing to do general maintenance on the cemetery. And that's what our family did. Um, you know, a week after Memorial Day, we would get up at about 4.30 in the morning, and we would go and take all of the flowers off of all of the graves. We would load them in a big horse trailer, and we would take them. And the ones that could be salvaged, we used to beautify the local community, which was usually like around the canal banks close sure. to, our, to our farm. And those that weren't, we, we had to take to, to dispose of. Wow. That's, yeah, that's definitely... Uh... An interesting uh, introduction into plant science, plant and soil science. Yeah, so you did floriculture, you did soils. It's yes, uh, and I did a I did a poor job at all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun. I've uh, I've I've told others that you know it it is interesting to think about the big questions. You know, life, death. Sure. Etc. When when you're driving a lawnmower around the cemetery for eight to twelve hours a day once a week, it, it it's a little bit disconcerting when you're having those same thoughts about life and death when it's ten thirty or eleven at night and you're trying to finish a grave for the next day and you're alone by yourself in this dark cemetery. Um, yeah, this greenhouse is creepy enough at night, and and I can yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Yeah, and I thought, you know, it would be interesting to write a book when I get older. You know, places that I've been creeped at in my life. You should life. definitely write a book. I would read that book. <laughs> I have a picture somewhere of me walking out one day, and I turned around and, you know, just shot a picture down this hallway, and there's, like, red lights coming out of one greenhouse and bright yellow lights, and it there's uh, definitely an angry yeah, ghost living here somewhere. A little bit otherworldly. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> in fact... I did my PhD at the University of Georgia at the Coastal Plain Experiment Station in Tifton, 
and you know it's about three hours from the main campus it's a little bit of a small town a little bit of you know trees everywhere a little bit secluded and in the in the main building that i was in there was a a picture that the eyes would follow you oh no and so you know during the day that wasn't a big deal but when i would go in after hours that picture just absolutely freaked me out Uh, yeah so you know one of the early station directors there in in tifton was was still looking over my shoulder (laughs) his his picture was right next to the lab that we worked in yeah that's really creepy i think i think i've decided we need to start telling like when we do tours out here we need to start telling new grad students that it's definitely haunted yeah (laughs) just to you know because some of them there's there's one student for sure that i if i'm ever up here late he's here too He's yeah. definitely always here. <laughs> and maybe if I could convince him that it was haunted, he would go home. Yeah, that's that's a great point. You know, we we could even have a story about, you know, this you know, we we haven't had any actual graduate students die at the greenhouse, but we've seen a lot of dreams die. It's those or, you know, it's those uh, dead dreams that are haunted that are, that the, are haunting the, the place of of uh, uh projects that never happened or never got finished. Yeah, that's right. So so I went to two years at a, a liberal arts university or college there in southeast Idaho. Uh, used to be called Rick's College, and the joke was, who's Rick? Or who's Rick? Right. Um, I went there for two years. It's now BYU-Idaho, and it's a okay. four-year institution. Went to Utah State, where I got my bachelor's and did my master's with Bruce Bugby. I oh, cool. really fell in love with the controlled environment, but he also extended my project to where I was doing remote sensing. And I did spectroradiometer research with him, and I had to come up with a platform because you can't carry a spectroradiometer and a computer at the same time right. and hold one out and be taking measurements while typing on the other <laughs> without some type of a platform. Right. So. I designed my first, what I would term, redneck engineering project. <laughs> I actually designed uh, the system where I was pushing a wheelbarrow uh, down the rows, and the wheelbarrow had a piece of PVC with a 90-degree angle that was extended out over the plot. I would push my wheelbarrow. I would stop. I would take a measurement. I would push the wheelbarrow. <laughs> and, and so I thought I was getting away from the wheelbarrow thing after I stopped digging graves, but, no. but it turned out it was just preparation for my research. It was just a more high tech wheelbarrow at that point (laughs) that's right and so i was thinking a little bit about that as i was walking over here today that each of us has so many unique and unusual experiences that never really come out in the in the course of events you know we're as people were were so prone to kind of lock people into what they are in sure. terms of you know their research focus in terms of you know which country they're from in terms of so many of these little things that we think defines a person and the reality is you're never going to be able to completely define who a person is because you know they've got years and years of these individual experiences yeah. you know heartaches, heartbreaks, uh, successes that we have no idea about. And, you know, so much of what we are is encapsulated within just a few words a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's such a great point. And I think that's, that's an important story for our students to hear and, and not even students, but faculty, whoever that, 
it's it's real easy to get pigeonholed into one thing, right? And you come in, you're like, I've got a degree in this, and okay, good, that's what you're doing yeah, forever. <laughs> exactly, you're you're completely right in that. I I think that it's important for us to remember that you know, first of all, you know, let's get out of the habit of pigeonholing people, and second, I think that it's important that we share some of these experiences with others. You know, each of us has this life story that is that is who we are. And I, if there's one thing that I could tell undergraduates who are coming in, graduate students who are coming in, I would say get to know people and find ways to serve within the community, within the, the college, and find ways to reach out to others because your story is important and it's a big part of understanding you know, who we are, but also in terms of understanding what other people are. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's such a great point. Um, so, you know, kind of, kind of tying into that, um, at this point, and I don't, I don't know exactly when this episode's going to come out sometime early in the new year, we're recording in mid November. Um, so you've got almost a semester under your belt as department chair has, without putting you on the spot, how's that going? It is like drinking from a fire hose. And you you hear that term a lot, but this has certainly been one of the big awakenings that I've had in life. I've I've had a few different times that I've just felt completely overwhelmed and you know, you're just trying to play catch up. So sure. it this this isn't the first time I've experienced it. It's not the first time over I've been overwhelmed, but it's a lot to bite off. And I would say, you know, Erica Kay, who is the department chair before me, yeah. did a great job. You know, obviously no one's perfect, but I don't think a lot of times I, as a researcher, realized all of the stuff that he had to be doing behind <laughs> the scenes to 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 simplify things for me. And sure. he did a great job of not bringing things up that you know, didn't reach some level of, of critical mass. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if, if he called me into his office and said, you know, you need to get these reports filed sooner, you need to do these other things. He was a big buffer between me. And I, I realized that, you know, that there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and I'm still getting up to speed on, sure, yeah. on a lot of that. Um, we're fortunate to have a very strong administrative staff within our department. And, you know, to a large extent, if I would say if, if I'm not bothering you, it probably means that, you know, we're doing our best to try to keep things running smoothly be right. behind the scenes. Um, but it's it's been a big adjustment for me. I never really saw myself in administration when I started my research program. And, you know, to a large extent, it's it's a lot of fun, but it's also there, there are times that you just want to, to pull your hair out. <laughs> and, you know, it, you get a little bit of that each day. I, I would say I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I enjoy a lot of aspects of what I'm doing now. Um, at the same time, you know, there are some things that I'm still getting up to speed on even how to do. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's only been 
four months, less than four <laughs> yeah. months. So no, not even because it's, I don't even know. I don't know how time works. I just, I sit out here in my office and time just happens around me. Yeah. That's probably why I haven't graduated yet. Cause I don't have a good like <laughs> grasp of time. Yeah. Butch, uh, by the way, I saw that you got a, a paper accepted recently. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So that was so I, I hadn't published anything out of my master's degree at the time I had not planned on doing more school. I was like over it. Right. So over it. And then at some point, um, um, Joey young kind of talked me into <laughs> doing more school Yeah, and I haven't forgiven him for it yet. But, <laughs> um, so I, you know, I hadn't had much of that experience in the publishing world of trying to like get a paper out. And that was, like you said, an eye opening experience in my life. And, in you know, you, you see, uh, not just junior faculty, but I think maybe especially junior faculty that are like so stressed out. Yeah. And now I get it. Like even just from a little <laughs> bit of that, uh, you know, talking to talking to colleagues now working here and, and having gone through that publishing process, I kind of get it. <laughs> like it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're an adult now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, in in terms in terms of that paper, now you know now you know the currency that, that we talk about when we talk about research yeah. because honestly when it comes down to being successful in research uh, you're looking at a few things you're looking to make sure that you've got some money co coming in so that you can pay your students right and you're looking at you know what are you able to publish in terms of you're taking all of your work you're encapsulating it into what you hope is a logical story right. and then you're sending it out to other people to to judge and to tear say, apart yeah exactly it, essentially you're saying you know here is my great work please <laughs> provide criticism of it and you know i will take that criticism and i will make it better <laughs> and that but it's so it's so hard because it's like you know and i know at some point you probably develop a, a thicker skin about you have to right or you don't make yeah. it but you know when you get those like that first so we, we've tried to put it in two journals and that first rejection letter that was like um no I'm like yeah. oh really because i worked hard on this but you know it, it was a good experience and i'm glad that it's one i got and, and one thing i like that we do in our department is is uh almost like i not almost but we kind of force grad students especially maybe just at the phd level to at least submit a paper Yes. Right. That's a requirement. Yes. Isn't it? In fact, the requirement now is, you know, it has to be, it has to have at least been accepted with revisions okay. before you're able to defend. Okay. Now, I don't remember the exact date of that becoming law, but <laughs> um, my recommendation is for any graduate student, master's or PhD, to work toward the expectation that you're going to publish something from your thesis or your dissertation in a refereed journal. Now, obviously there are various levels and various, you know, there, there are some that you can publish in that they're not going to be particularly rough on you. Right. But you find out a lot of your, about yourself, like you mentioned, you know, that first rejection letter, you find out a lot about who you are and what your research is when you get that that rejection letter you have to reevaluate and say what is it that we can do or that we need to do to make this 
important or make this palatable to the scientific community and that to me as as a researcher that's that's a big deal when yeah. uh, when you've published that first paper you've been initiated you you now know at least within the context of that paper what it takes to publish a paper and you know that may be the only paper some graduate students publish. Yeah. That may be the first of many. Uh, we have professors in our department who've, who've published, you know, over 100 papers, wow. over 200 papers. Wow. But everyone starts at the same point. Everyone starts without a publication in their docket, and everyone has to go through that same learning process. Whether you're a 4.0 student, whether you're a 3.0 student, you know, you don't automatically get spared that just because you do well in class. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it teaches you that the whole other, I don't know, the whole other face of just this whole science or the academics and academia, like you said, you, you can be great in class, but if you can't take or and do great research, but if you can't take that and package it, you know, maybe that's, that's, all, I think doing the work's only half the job and then getting it out there. Yes, I would agree with that. Something, and this might be a good venue to bring this up is that a lot of times we think in terms of presentations and posters and papers and we think of having to have different skills for each of those but every one of those is telling a story hmm. it's just you know instead of telling a story about places that i found creepy while i was growing up <laughs> graves and greenhouses yeah exactly now yeah which which is funny you know which which is which is creepier for you graves or grades because oh. i think i've got undergraduate Ooh, students know. who are a lot more worried about grades this time of the semester yeah. than they are graves yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think a lot of whether it be a presentation, whether it be a poster, whether it be a paper, is this art of storytelling. How often do we think that when we're publishing a paper, you know, we have objectives in that paper, just like the hero or the heroine has in a novel that we read. And just like we lay out the objectives in Harry Potter, we're laying out objectives in, you know, Vikram Baliga and, <laughs> you know, the, the story about his research. Right. And, you know, so often we start to think of technical writing as being something that is meant to not be engaging, but very much we're telling the same story. Obviously, we're constrained. We, we have to keep everything within the context of what we actually found and what we can actually accurately surmise, but very much a good research paper can be just, well, maybe not just as fun to read as a good <laughs> novel, but it ought to be engaging. We ought to have some connection with the person who wrote that article when we're reading through that article. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and so a question I wanted to ask you, too, is, and this has come up on a couple of previous episodes, or I say pre, I don't even know, when they, whenever they come out, but a couple of other interviews I've done, is we find, I think... And, and I think maybe universities in general are moving towards this, um, or at least what I have found and, and something that I've thought for a long time is that there's kind of a um, um, gap in this feedback loop between the research we do and then the people that need to read about it. So like, you know, we publish in journals a lot and stuff and 
I guess the reason extension exists is because they take that research and tell the story to the public, you know, the people that are paying for our research, essentially. Do you think that that's as a, you know, research university as a department, do you think public outreach is something we should be doing more of and like taking our, our research and our information and putting it out there? Or do you think it's something that, you know, needs to be kind of protected within the university? Wow. Great question. And, you know, speaking to someone who has formerly worked in an extension, I think you really strike to one of the heart of the difficulties that we run into within the research system, which is, I think outreach is absolutely critical to what we're doing. And, you know, being able to share this message or the story with people who go outside of our enclosed scientific community is absolutely critical. However, <laughs> I think that many times we we don't have incentives or we don't have implied incentives associated with that. Hmm. If If I publish five papers in a year and those five papers, I'm an applied scientist, you know, those five papers over the course of my lifetime may generate, you know, 50 citations or a okay. hundred citations if I'm, you know, if I'm lucky, you know, that is a pretty narrow output. Um, I actually, when I was a graduate student, I was involved helping write an extension publication called Cotton Growth and Development. It was something that was started under some work that Craig Bednars had done. Mm -hmm. uh, he handed it to me and said, hey, I think this would make a great graduate student project because it'll give you a chance to learn about the cotton plant. I had never seen a cotton plant <laughs> before I started my PhD. Oh, wow. And, you know, now that was 2003. Now, you know, 17 years later almost, if someone asked, well, what does Dr. Ritchie do? Everyone says cotton. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I worked on putting this together. I put together some nice pictures on it. And if you look on Google Scholar for Glenn Ritchie, the publication that has the most refereed references on it is not one of the papers that I worked the hardest on in terms of the science. It is that Cotton Growth and Development publication. Wow. And the interesting thing to me is, you know, it, yes, it was refereed within the extension system, but, you know, it's not considered a refereed journal article. And yet more people have referenced that in their journal articles huh. than any of the other research that I've done. And I think that points to sometimes we overlook the value of the things that we do within the community, within the um, shareholder community, you know, in our case, you know, the production community sure, yeah. um, or the, you know, the landscaping community, etc. A lot of times we're overlooking that because we're going after this carrot on a stick, which is, oh, a research publication. Right. And, I think to some extent, seeing the bigger picture and making sure that we're including an outreach component when we're doing our research is critical because, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's almost disappointing to me. Well, let me give you an example. Okay. Um, you know, we've been interviewing some 
very top tier scientists who are coming in to, to join the abiotic stress and genomics labs here. And, you know, some of these scientists, you look through, you know, some of them have had 14,000 citations. Wow. Uh, I think Dr. Estrella has, you know, well over $20,000 or 20,000 citations. You know, he may even That's be at 50,000 citations. Now think about that for a moment. This morning I was watching a Mark Rober video on, he went in and modified a bowling ball so that when he moves left and right, the bowling <laughs> ball moves left and right and he can get a strike every time. You know, basic physics, something that's of interest to the, to the general public and it's got 11 million views. Yeah. And if it's a YouTube video, 11 million views is a lot of views, but it's not unusual no right um but you compare that with say let's say we've got a hundred thousand citations i don't have a hundred thousand <laughs> citations but let's say you've got a high power scientist who has a hundred thousand citations um you know the the difference between a hundred thousand and ten million is not a tenfold increase it's a hundred fold increase yeah. there are ten times or a hundred times as many people who are interested in a bowling ball <laughs> that moves left and right um, than are referencing some of our papers and so i I really like the idea that let's reach out let's talk about what we're doing in a format that is of interest to people let's engage in the community generally and let's get people excited about what we do not just a small group of people but a relatively large group of people as many as we can i guess exactly well and i've you know i've been so appreciative that you've been i'm making noise i move stuff during these interviews and I make noise um that you've been so supportive of just this little project because it was one of those things that uh you know when you were going through your interview stuff for the chair position you said a couple times you know we need to be reaching out in different ways and you said podcasts and that's stuck in my brain for whatever reason because i had been wanting to do it anyway so i just kind of did it and so i appreciate one you're not firing me for doing that um but two just being like on the show and being supportive of it i, I like I think that that says a lot about maybe where we're headed, you know, and, and maybe where, um, you know, as a department, as, as you know, you as departmental leadership, just kind of the ethos of maybe what we're doing. I, I appreciate that because, you know, I was extension too for four or five years and uh, that kind of never leaves. Like you kind of never get that out of your blood, I don't think. Yeah. And I, I'm so glad that you're doing this. And I think you're right. One, once once you start tapping into a group of people who are interested in in what you're doing, you know, it's it's almost like a drug. Yeah, it's, oh, it, it is. But the the cool thing about it is, you know, this is our story. This is something that's going to be available in fifty or a hundred years. You know, your your great grandchildren may be listening to <laughs> Vikram Baliga, um, you know, and and his podcast. It's it's part of the imprint that you leave on society. And I, I think as scientists, we we tend to be a little bit conservative in our uptake of technology. Mm -hmm. And the risk that we run into is we could be left behind in this process where, you know, something that was considered a little bit uh, humorous, you know, when, when YouTube came out, it was mainly cat videos. Right. I'm not going to say how I know that, <laughs> but I, I think we run the risk of, you know, we're already 
many generations digitally past that point. Yeah. And, you know, this this ought to be a mainstream process that we're using. And so I'm glad that, that you're involving us in this because I, I think that this is going to be important to the story that we're sharing. Well, I, I hope so. I hope so. And, I, and, you know, I think that, you know, other things we... I think as a university, we do as a whole a pretty good job of, of using social media well and, and doing um, uh, videos and education and stuff like that. But we could do better. And I think as a department, that's somewhere that I hope we, we start heading. So, yeah. so on that note, like, where do you see, um, you know, where do you see us going? Like, what, what, are, what are your thoughts and, like, uh, visions for our department in the next five or ten or however many years? Right. Well, and... It's interesting with administration, you kind of connect administrators to the things that they did or that happened during the time that they were um, in, in, for instance, the chair position. Sure. You know, if you look with with Eric, um, we have the new wing of the Plant and Soil Science Building. We have the recruitment of uh, the Governor's Research Initiative with the Abiotic Stress and Genomics Lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see a lot of things that he did. The, that's just the tip of the iceberg of the things that were accomplished with him. If if I was in this role for five years or, you know, however many years, maybe it's going to be three months. <laughs> maybe I'm going to have a surprise for me when I get back. But if, if there are things that I would like connected with my time, you know, first of all, I would like to see our graduate students be recognized as full-fledged, full-scale scientists. And I think the way that that comes out is, you know, first of all, through publications being recognized within the literature Mm -hmm. as someone who has gone through that process. Um, But also in terms of I, I would like to see students, undergraduate and graduate students connected with the community involved in service projects you know, service projects at the greenhouse or the farm. Sure. But also service projects potentially at the South Plains Food Bank, other places where we can be connected with people. And first of all, be, I think there's a certain connection that you get any, you know, I've heard it said, you know, the things that we, that we serve, we love and the things that we love, we serve, Mm -hmm. which is, if you're providing service, you're going to, to develop a connection there. Um, I think if if I had a choice, I would really like to see the output and the connection of our students within the community, within the department and college to grow to where I get it. Um, there's always going to be a, a teacher-student relationship between the faculty and the students, but especially with the graduate students, I want them, as they leave Texas Tech, to feel that they have the skills, the capabilities, and the connections that they need in order to be successful in life. Whether successful means continuing on and becoming a scientist in an academic institution or the USDA whether it means working privately, whether it means going back to a family business or a family farm. But 
I hope that at least a big part of the output that we see moving into the future is the impact that it has on the individuals within the department. And I think that there are going to be opportunities for growth and expansion, you know, from a building standpoint, from a improving our facility standpoint. But I hope that we don't lose the bigger picture, which is that our role is centered around individuals and the difference and the impact that we can make to the world, not so much, um, you know, buildings or other things in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. These are tools toward an end, and I want the end to be the positive impact that we have on others. Oh, that's awesome. That's really great. Well, we've done about 32, 33 minutes, so we'll start wrapping up. Are there any last thoughts you wanted to share? Anything I didn't cover? No, I've again, I, I think that this is a great idea that we're doing here. And I think that it's important. Um, some of the advice that I give my children and, you know, my oldest children are in college now. My youngest is, is in second grade, Mm -hmm. but my goal is, you know, you hear a lot about soft skills and, you know, how do we develop soft skills? A lot of these things, you know, the the way that we develop skills is by being put in a situation that requires us to (laughs) either use those skills or to develop and then use those skills. And it's my hope that we can find ways to, you know, we're not a cookie cutter institution. When you get your PhD, you're not going to look like every other PhD that we that we had here. And you know, we, we talk about, you know, creepy places. One of the creepiest places <laughs> I've seen for graduate students or undergraduate students is the horizon where you're looking at future you in six months or a year and saying, what am I going to be doing? Right. And, you know, a big part, to me, that's a big part of adulthood is making that step from, you know, the school system is something that you're familiar with from the time you're five or six years right, old yeah. or even younger and actually stepping out into the big bad world and discovering that you're big enough and bad enough to <laughs> hold your own within that world is, is a big step. Um, my, my hope is that we're moving toward that where you feel comfortable even though you know, it's something new and it's something unknown, but our students are going to have the opportunity to know that they can deal with things that are difficult. They can deal with things that are unknown and they're going to be just fine because they have the skills and the capabilities and the maturity that are going to help them to be successful. That's yeah, no, that's awesome. That's such a good thought. I think, and that's, that's probably a good place to leave. This is just, uh, I, th- I think that's very hopeful though that like yeah it can be scary getting out of um school over and over again especially for us <laughs> re- repeat offenders um but but the fact that you know we've hopefully trained our our students to be successful humans you know i think that's a big deal yeah i i would agree i i think if we can be successful on that end everything else is going to take care of itself well, Dr. Ritchie, thanks for so so much for being on with me and uh, just for sitting down and chatting and sharing your thoughts. Is Do you do social media? Is that a thing you do? Do you want people to find you or do you try to hide? I don't blame I, you if you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, 
I'm an infant in social media. Okay. I, I'll be honest. Uh, about a week ago, I finally set up a Twitter account wow, for real. Okay. I had I'd done a couple of others or started a couple of others, but you know, every time I tried to put in a cool handle, they're like, "No, you've got to use your real name." <laughs> like, well, that that <laughs> removes all of my desire to make comments because I wanted to be able to hide behind the handle. Do it here. anonymously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I traditionally have not been a heavy social media producer, although I've I've been a heavy social media. All right, last quick funny story. Sure. Yeah. So my wife has been active on Facebook for years. I actually was part of the pioneering group of Facebook users. Right. Because, uh, when I was at the University of Georgia, I, we had a graduate student who was very interested in it. And we set it up back when you had to have a .edu uh-huh. email oh, address. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then I stopped using it. She used it pretty heavily. But on our computer, um, she had everything so that all you had to do was go to Facebook and you could log in. And she had her account. She had all, all of my kids' accounts who had accounts and my account. So one April 1st, a few years ago, and, you know, a little bit of background here. At this point, we already had our seven children. And so <laughs> people kind of knew us as the family that has lots of children. <laughs> so you know, our, our youngest was about two or three years old. One of our older kids had a doctor's appointment. Christina took the kid to the doctor's appointment. So she was out of the house. I had a few minutes to myself with the computer. And so I... You know, being April 1st, I logged into her account and went to Google, found a nice picture of an ultrasound with twins. Oh, no. And <laughs> I, I I posted it on her account, and I put something to the effect of, I felt like I was much sicker on, <laughs> on this pregnancy than I had been on the other ones and didn't know why. Well, we found out today, and then I posted the picture of these these twins and an ultrasound. And then I logged out of her account. I went onto my account and I, I, I put something, you know, I'm so excited for both of us. <laughs> you know, I never thought that we'd have twins. My wife was a twin. Um, and then I went into each of the, the kids' accounts. And for my son, I put, I think it's going to be two boys. You know, for my daughter, I think it's going to be two girls. For my second daughter, I think it'll be a boy and a girl. And so I kind of started the thread going <laughs> about 10, 15 minutes later, I get a call from Christine and she said, what did you post on What did you do? Are you still in trouble for that? I'm still somewhat in trouble for that. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, I wouldn't, uh, I'm, I'm more of a social media troll. Yeah, that's um, fair. But it's something that I'm looking to expand, and I'm hoping to really improve my Twitter following by by virtue of doing things <laughs> okay. like podcasts. Well, cool. Well, we'll tag your uh, Twitter. What's your handle? Did what'd you come up with? Uh, it's I'm, fine. I'll put yeah. it in the show notes. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> um, but thanks again, and uh, I just I really appreciate your time. All right, thanks, Vikram. 
So I never did uh, get his Twitter handle, but if I can get him and give it to me or if I can find it, I'll plop it in the show notes and throw it up on social media. I'll also put a link to his professional page on our Plant and Soil Science website if you'd like to connect with Dr. Ritchie and ask him about digging graves or his outlook on academia or how to just get more involved in our department or maybe come be a student here. We would love so much to have you. Thanks so much to the Department of Plant and Soil Science as always for supporting this podcast and just supporting outreach in the community and just high quality education. We love what we do here and we love our students and it's really just great to have leadership like Dr. Ritchie who feels the same way. You can find Planthropology on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. The handles are a little bit different, but if you search for Planthropology and look for the green background with the little white tree, you'll find us for sure. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm excited about next episode, which will come out um, the first Tuesday of February, as always, with my good friend Catherine Drury from the High Plains Underground Water Conservation District. We will talk about the future of water on the Southern High Plains. We talk about how to be more conservative in your landscape. And I forget to turn off my phone and it rings like 37 times during the interview. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Y'all are the very best. Have a great couple of weeks and keep being the very coolest plant people.